0: There we go. That's the spirit. Deshaun Tate here with you. Tate's take the podcast. What you're listening to each and every single thing, uh, basketball. If we're talking, you know, uh, 94 feet long and, and, and 50 feet wide, 22 and one and one quarter inches out on the perimeter, uh, and, uh, and, and 10 feet tall on the rim, man, you've, you definitely uh, found the right spot. That's for sure. Um, High school basketball, college basketball, dare I say college basketball this time of the year, March Madness, uh, NBA, the whole nine. And we're going to get into some of those other segments in regards to a little bit of NBA because I had the opportunity, blessed with the opportunity, of course, to uh, have a sit down conversation with Chris Bosh. I'll give you guys a little bit of insight on that, uh, how that conversation went. We talked to quite a bit, a few things, you know, talked a little bit about the big three and kind of how that changed basketball as we kind of see it right now and that whole landscape and then in addition to that uh, a little bit about uh, the Kobe Bryant uh, situation uh, with his unfortunate passing and just kind of hearing about Chris Bosh who uh, you know had the opportunity to not only just play with Kobe Bryant especially in the Olympics and and things like that over a few summers ago but uh, it, it had the opportunity to Um, Get to know Kobe Bryant, you know, uh, uh, from an in-depth standpoint, the person, not just the basketball player and the dad that he was and all of that good stuff. And he even gave some pretty cool comments, I like to think, on Trey Young as well. So we'll get into that, obviously, a lot of Final Four stuff as well. This coronavirus crap going on all over the place, which makes it uh, me really, really tempted to, um, you know, put my mic sock on or a mic condom, as we call it here in, in, in media uh, but more than anything uh just getting really excited about you know march madness but not really overly happy or stoked about the way that it's kind of, that the coronavirus has kind of had an effect on it so we'll get into all that kind of stuff uh i think that uh first things first trying to see where we should go from here let's just let's just crack it right on open with a lot of this college basketball stuff and you know the the we're getting closer to March Madness uh, in terms of Selection Sunday, just five days away, and I'm really excited because I have some really cool opportunities to fly out to Dallas on Saturday and uh, the opportunity that stands to uh, do some color analyst work uh, through iHeart for Conference USA their conference tournament championship game in Dallas on Saturday, go from there flying to new Orleans on Sunday. You guys probably knew it was going to be like busy, busy, busy for me. So I'm pretty sure that that probably doesn't really surprise very many of you by any stretch of the imagination Sunday, uh, sunbelt conference tournament championship game in new orleans on selection sunday and so there's a lot of moving pieces a lot of layers to the onion but i'm really really excited about it so those are just a couple things of what i have going on that'll be leading up to finally a year where the final four is coming to me so i can keep a couple a couple pennies in my pocket and don't have to worry about traveling near as much as i do around this time of the year um the uh, week 19 AP poll rankings just came out. And let me say this. Let me preface this first before I even go any further into it, that I think a lot of times there's too much emphasis being put sometimes on some of the rankings that you see uh, in in top 25. None of this really matters. The only thing that really matters in terms of any of it really is the seeding. I mean, for crying out loud, you have the uh, – election sunday when that rolls around despite some of the teams that you know make it that that uh that's already kind of pre-put together or pre-planned if you will the tournament bracket is already somewhat it's just not released to us yet so a lot of those conference tournament games don't really hold a lot of weight uh as that seems to be pretty clear obviously because the turnaround time to you know uh, releasing the bracket uh, happens so quickly after conference tournaments. If I'm not mistaken, I think the Big, the big Ten uh, is the conference that plays its conference tournament last. Uh, I don't even think they have enough time to shower before they get the opportunity to hear their names called if you're playing in that Big Ten conference tournament. But as it stands, Kansas is number one. And I think this is going to be the last uh, ranking Released by the AP for this year. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong on that. Kansas, number one. Gonzaga, two. Dayton moves up finally into a top uh, top three spot or top five. That is uh, top three for sure. Uh, Dayton at number three. Florida State, four. Baylor, five. San Diego State, six. Surprisingly enough, Creighton at number seven, followed by Kentucky. Michigan State and Duke uh, uh, at eight, nine, and ten. Quite a few blue bloods that you have there. Uh, Maryland at 12, uh, Oregon 13, BYU 14, Louisville 15, uh, Seton Hall 16, Virginia 17, Wisconsin 18, Ohio State 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, and 25 is Auburn, Illinois, West Virginia, Houston, Butler, and Iowa. So just doing quite a bit of some researching, I guess, and just kind of taking a look at, you know, where a lot of these – number one seeds uh and just top four seeds, you know, between each region uh are panning out. And I, I think that the consensus would agree that Kansas is probably going to be the overall number one and favorite to probably win the national championship. I'm not sure many people would necessarily disagree with that, especially the fact that they'll get the overall number one. And in a lot of cases we see that anyway already out of Kansas. A lot of years they – I mean, shoot, they just won the reg, Big 12 regular season – uh, championship 14 years in a row prior to last year uh, where that streak was snapped and in a lot of those cases when that happens and it's Kansas I mean shoot for crying out loud they invented the game of basketball back in Lawrence by Dr. James Naismith back in 1891 it probably doesn't come as much of a surprise by the way that's a really uh, Fog Island Fieldhouse and this is just a really random thought And I'm going to give, uh, or let this be considered a tease, but probably on the next podcast or one of the next couple podcasts, I'm going to talk about some of the um, arenas and venues within college basketball. Because while I haven't had a ton of opportunities to go and see different venues, um, I've seen a lot of college basketball, but a lot of them on neutral sites and a lot of them at final fours and uh, preliminary rounds and sweet 16s and elite eights and so forth. But that's certainly always one venue that I wanted to go and check out Fog Allen Fieldhouse that um, I really want to see what those rules look like. They've got the rules posted up in a China cabinet or or something or a trophy case or somewhere along those lines. So I'll be interested to see in that. That's that's just a random thought. But, uh, you know, Kansas, in a lot of cases, end up getting I say all that to say a lot of times they end up getting the number one overall seed and they're one of the few teams uh, or or many teams rather that we always talk about how this thing is so wide open in terms of who can win the whole thing. And while I don't believe that there's nearly as many teams that I can see winning the national championship this year, as there is teams that I can see going to the final four, um, Kansas is certainly the front runner for that team and, or, or for that particular category. And I'll tell you what, you know, the the, the the realistic about all of this is the simple fact that, uh, you know, the Dukes and Kentuckys and Arizonas and UCLAs and so many other high-prestige elite programs have left title opportunities on the table and have not taken full advantage. So while there's a lot of teams that need to take full advantage this year of winning a national championship, there's certainly amongst those at the top of the list when we're having the kind of year like we're having this year. So as we're sitting here looking at it, Kansas, Baylor, Gonzaga, Dayton, all being number one seeds. I can definitely see that uh, as of right now. And a lot of this stuff is like I said, so many moving parts, so much more basketball still left to be played. It's, it's doubtful that somebody else will move into that number one spot. And I'll explain to you why, because between Kansas and Baylor who still have to play, games in the big 12 conference tournament the only one team can win that championship now if 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 Baylor wins that championship I still like to think that Kansas is going to be a number one seed Uh, but if they don't uh, then I can probably see Baylor being a team that drops off of that number one spot and then that's where you have you know uh, a San Diego state that could potentially jump back into that spot but I think because the work is done for them, and They, the most memorable thing that we have to go off of, which uh, right, wrong, or indifferent, like it, love it, or hate it, maybe it should be that they went on the the streak that they did this year and had the phenomenal run in the regular season, peak early or not, that they had. However, most people remember the last game played, and that was against Utah State after beating Utah State twice, and I get it. Beating a team three times in a row is a really, really difficult thing to do. However, in the same token, we remember them taking an L after beating Utah State twice in the regular season. So uh, there's a a very unlikely chance um, that we could see them bump up to the number one spot as well. Now, when you start looking at some of the Blue Blood programs or Blue Blood Let's try that again. <laughs> Blue Blood Programs, try saying that three times fast, or the Blue Blood uh, Conferences or Power Five Conferences, uh, if you will. One of the biggest surprises, I'll talk a little bit about more of these surprise teams a little bit later on, but when you start talking about some of the surprise teams, Florida State's certainly up there. They could be potentially making their way to move into that number one spot. They won the regular season in the ACC this year where I thought that team would have been Louisville. A lot of people thought that team would have been Duke. Some people thought going into the year that team would have been Carolina, and we all saw how that went. But that team was Florida State with not a ton of NBA talent on it. I mean, you don't have your Jonathan Isaacs and your Dwayne Bacons and any of those guys anymore. And so to see this of all the Florida State teams be the one that not only wins the ACC regular season, has a really good chance to win the ACC conference tournament, has a really good shot at going to the Final Four. And some people even think, not me, but some people even think uh, that they could even be a national championship contender and cut down the nets standing on the ladder with the scissors in their hands when they get here to Atlanta, assuming games are going to be played. I know those games better be played because if they don't get this coronavirus thing under control, they're going to have a really hard time tracking down one person uh, that will refuse to leave the building and will find a way to be there to see all of the games being played. We're not going to do this whole empty stadium thing. We'll get into that a little bit later, but uh, you certainly cannot refute exactly what it is that Leonard Hamilton has done uh, with this team. Dayton is a team that I think is very deserving of a number one seed. I told you guys plenty of times uh, that they were going to be a team that is going to run through the, uh, regular season within the conference of the Atlantic 10, and then even more so through the conference tournament, unscathed and unbeaten. Uh, and I think that there'll be a Final Four team. There's only very few Final Four teams I feel really, really comfortable about that can make it, and maybe not to win a national championship again. I want to make sure that I reference that but or preface that, however, but they are certainly a team that I think uh, is very likely to get to the Final Four. And then you have Gonzaga, who probably needs to take advantage of this year probably more than anybody else, uh, or maybe not anybody else, but over a large margin of teams. Uh, We eventually saw Virginia kick that door down. You know, we've seen them get to the Sweet 16. We've seen them get to the Elite Eight. We never seen them win a national championship until last year. Villanova after 1985, I think it was. Uh, You know, between then and 2016, we seen them get to the Final Four. Um, back in two thousand and nine, you know, with Scotty Reynolds and or or was that the um or was that the Kyle Lowry and Mike Nardi and and uh, and and Ray and uh, who else am I uh, Randy Foy and all those guys uh, they kept banging on the door Sweet Sixteen Elite Eight year after year after year and they have finally kicked that door down to win national championship and I think that that is the blueprint that Gonzaga needs to be and is likely going to follow but they don't have the guard play we know that March Madness is all about guard play and they don't typically scare me in regards to guard play uh now they've got the bigs up front you know the the Killian Tilly um health status is going to be on high alert for a lot of pe- people and and Philip Petrusev and um you know, some of those other guys and now they're not rolling out there, you know, Simic Karnowski and, and, and DeMontis Sabonis or anything like that, but uh they may not necessarily need to. And I'm not taking anything away from Mark Few because I think that he is a really good coach obviously and he's making things work out there where he's at there's no reason for him to leave or try and switch things up or do anything different got to a national championship game back in 2017 before ultimately falling to North Carolina so they do have the experience and they're going to be respected a whole lot more than the average mid-major teams however uh, that does not guarantee him and or that team much of anything because while most people consider them to be favorites or somewhere right within that conversation to cut down the nets here in Atlanta, uh, in the same token, they're not playing the same schedule that everybody else playing. I mean, they've lost two games all season, one of them by 30 points to a Michigan team who is average at very best or slightly above average uh, at very best. And a lot of that stuff is kind of hard to gauge sometimes with some of the teams within the Big Ten uh, because it's tough, such a tough league. It kind of reminds me of SEC football to an extent, where they beat up on each other every single week. You know, it's, it's very reminiscent of that. Uh, but, you know, Gonzaga's also one of those teams that are benefiting off of being in the West Coast Conference, where there's really not many teams there that can, you know, contest for anything. I mean, I was excited to see uh, Gonzaga in the West Coast Conference tournament. Championship up against uh, BYU. Um, But that's not going to happen, obviously, that being one of the two teams that beat Gonzaga this year. Uh, But instead, it's St. Mary's because St. Mary's took care of business with a last minute shot by Ford at the end. And so, you know, you do have those opportunities now to see once again who most people are going to think is the only team that can give Gonzaga a scare that being St. Mary's. And I think that Gonzaga is going to go ahead and take care of them and run them out of the building. Uh, and solidify their spot for a number one for a number one seed and may even get the overall number one in the event that Kansas loses in the in the in, in the conference in the conference tournament uh, for the Big 12. So there's that, uh, you know, when I was talking a little bit early about some of these surprise teams, there's two of them that I think are very likely to be a number two seed right now. I talked about Florida State already. Um uh, and, and it's based on a lot of surprise teams. You know, Creighton is another one of those teams that I just really didn't see being all that great this year. I think that they took advantage, and they're not the only team because a lot of teams did this this year, but they took advantage of the kind of down year that we're seeing in college basketball to the average fan. Of course, not me, but uh, but but they took care of business and, and, and won the league in, in the in the Big East, which I think was second, right behind the Big Ten in toughest leagues in the country, uh, and to, if you would have if I if you would have asked me if Creighton was going to be the team, you would have told me that Creighton was going to be the team to win the Big East this year, and Florida State was going to be the team to win the ACC. I probably would have told you that that you were absolutely crazy, you know. And that's probably in the same conversation with Maryland, you know, who uh, who's not you know likely a, a two seed here, but can make a move closer towards a two seed, uh, certainly within reach of a three to to win the Big Ten. And if they win a the conference tournament, then it's likely they can do that. So as far as from two seeds, Creighton, Florida State, Kentucky's right there. I gotta try and figure out exactly what is going on within the Ashton Higgins shenanigans for why we didn't see, uh, you know, him playing in the game against Florida. Um, I guess he's just in a bad way right now, according to head coach in John Calipari. But that's another program that has won, not won a national championship in about eight years or so, has not gotten to a Final Four since 2015, the one that they left on the table after losing to Wisconsin, starting out the season, going 38 and a goose egg. Like, there, there's some pressure there. There's some pressure there for sure. Uh, and they don't hang anything but national championship banners. So you better believe that there is, mm, I don't know how much, but I like to think that there's quite a bit of pressure there on, Uh, coach cow to finish the deal especially in a year like this like a few years ago it was a 27 or 2018 season it was they had the most difficult road of any region uh to make it out and go to the final four uh from the beginning you know i think arizona was in that conference and you know i think tennessee was having a good year they were in that conference i mean there was Or or in that region, rather. But they were, they, it was going to be difficult for them to come out of that. But they found a way. And they scratched and they clawed. And now you're looking at the Sweet 16. And in that region, the last four teams, which was here in Atlanta, I was there. I remember it was Nevada, Kansas State, Loyola, Chicago, and Kentucky. And Kentucky fell. If I would have told you here in Catlanta that to decide who's going to go to the elite eight, and then to the final four to come out of that particular region, which I think was the South region to choose between Kentucky and Kansas state and Loyola, Chicago and, uh, and Nevada, you would have obviously told me that Kentucky would have been that, that, that team, but they weren't, they didn't even get out of the sweet 16 after losing to Kansas state. And that was a really awesome locker room to be in that day. I could tell you that much. I just remember it still to this day, but, um, You know, Kentucky is just one of those teams that have left some on the table and they've got some work to do. And and that wasn't even one of the worst years that they've left on the table. I mean, they've got plenty of others. They've lost to UConn in a national championship game back in, what was that, maybe 2014, I think, with Shabazz Napier and Ryan Boatwright and all those guys. So uh, the other team, uh, as far as second uh, or the very last, rather, number two seed is San Diego State which, again, I, I think are going to have some problems to finding their way into a uh, potential one seed, but I like to think that they're a lock for a three seed. Now, as far as the, or, uh, as far as, or they're a lock for a two seed for now, but I, it's really going to be hard for me to imagine them getting bumped down. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of rumblings about Michigan State. And so, Sparty is one of those teams that, you know, obviously disappointed early on this year and, you know, being ranked number one. We know that they typically don't play their best brand of basketball at that time of the year so early, but it's typical March. It's typical. Michigan State, they get it together around this time of the year and people are putting a lot of stock in them. I think they have the third best odds of winning the national championship this year, and I'm not sure that I really am a huge believer in that part of it. Uh, And they haven't really played well last season, but they seem to be in their stride at the right time like they always do. I don't know what switch it is that Tom Izzo finds a way to turn on, um, you know, at this time of the year, but just something seems to just go a little bit different. It's almost – you know, being a, a fan of that particular program, I hate to be the person that's on my on the edge of my seat all the time, holding on for dear life, not knowing what the heck you're going to get out of your team until March, and that, and to believe that at some point that's going to catch up with you, and that very well could be this year. They're the team that could be anybody in the country this year and win a national championship, but they're they're also the team that is not far from losing to anybody within you know the 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 field of 68 and losing in the first round again, they've lost they've left national championships on the table as well. You know, when you start looking at, you know, uh, uh, two thousand and, and 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 sixteen when they had the opportunity right there in front of them as a as a two seed and were feeling really disrespected about not getting a one seed and lost to Middle Tennessee State with Denzel Valentine and Brent Forbes and all of those guys. They had really good teams at that time and Even 2014 was another really good team uh, with Gary Harris and Adrian Payne and the two guys I just mentioned as well. Um, And then even, what was it, 2017, 2018 with Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges and, you know, obviously uh, uh, Cassius Winston was on that team as well. Nick Ward, all of these guys, Matt McCoy, I mean, they – they, they, they had a really good team and they left one on the table. And I know that, you know, college basketball is all about storylines and this and that. You know, they've got their work cut out for them just like every other team. But, you know, we don't really have the storylines. We've gone from, you know, having a year where we saw, you know, uh, Trey Young have live break-ins on NBA games with some of his highlights and some of the things that he was doing to last year with Zion Williamson and the generational player and phenomenon that he is, to a year like this year with what is the selling point? I mean, who is that player? There's not that dominant player. There's not that dominant team. I'm getting sick of people throwing all these names out there to say this is the team, that's the team that's going to make the Final Four run. They're looking good this year. Yeah, I've heard some you know was it Seth Greenberg i think it was talking about Penn State can do it and early in the season talking about Ohio State can do it and uh you know which I'm, I'm i'm still on that ohio state bandwagon not necessarily to win a national championship but certainly to be a final four contender because they're playing some of their best basketball right now since you know they 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 they, they kind of fell off quite a bit uh getting closer to midway through the season but uh you know i've also heard you know uh uh, uh you know duke and And Kentucky and this team and, you know, that team and Dayton can win a national championship and San Diego State can win a national championship. And, you know, hearing so much about so many different institutions, I I, I think it's it's best that we just kind of sit back and enjoy all the hoopla and everything that's going to come along with it and see if there's some storylines that, you know, of some narratives that can be created. I mean, for one, for Michigan State, I mean, you think about it, you've got, you know, a you know situation where Cassius Winston, who, you know, unfortunately, the unfortunate set of circumstances, losing his brother uh, earlier on in the season. So I know that the guys are really going to be playing for him. And this is his last year as a college basketball player and, you know, breaking some of the records within the Big Ten and some of the program records within itself. Uh, Earlier this year, that storyline, and they haven't won the national championship in 20 years. And a lot of that is something as difficult as it may be. It's something that Tom Izzo has has to answer for because realistically looking at it, they look like the Buffalo Bills of college basketball, and that's just the reality of it. They keep getting there and getting there and getting there, and it seems like a tease. And sometimes I feel like a lot of Michigan State fans tend to – use that as a crutch that they got to the final four and treated like it's winning the national championship and it's not i mean since winning the national championship in 2000 they've gotten to six other final fours and lost every single last one of them that's unacceptable as a fan i'd rather not even go to the final four as great of an achievement as that is at some point you have to be expected to win it because the disappointment is just going to be a reoccurring thing on a regular basis. But they have a shot to do it, so we will, uh, you know, we will definitely see how successful they will be in that. But there's very few teams that I want, you know, that that that, that I would want to play uh, at this time of the year. And one of those teams, obviously, is Michigan State. Villanova is a really good team as well. I just, you know, they're they're right there on that three line as well. I'm just. I'm not sure that they're experienced enough. I know that they've got the coach and head coach and Jay Wright, who's got, you know, multiple national championships over the course of the last three or four years. But one thing that we must take into consideration, you know, when 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 looking at the the grand scheme of it is that they they've lost a lot of NBA talent and guys to graduation that they've relied upon to give them uh, the extra oomph to put them over the hump and realistically look at winning a national championship. And I just don't think that this year is that year. Now, if they go to the Elite Eight, would it surprise me? Absolutely not. If they went to the Final Four, that would be a little bit more surprising, but it still wouldn't completely surprise me. And I kind of feel the same way about Duke. Duke is a team that can win. Anytime you have a coach who's arguably the, not only the best coach in the country, but the best coach in... Uh, you know, the history of the game, even in a lot of circumstances, like anytime you have him walking the sidelines in that suit, you, 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 your chances of winning the national championship is good. And there's not very many times that Duke gets there and they don't win the whole thing. They typically take advantage of all the opportunities that they have in front of them. And they don't go very long without winning a national championship. And here we are looking at going on five years that they haven't won a national title. And I think that that's that that that's significant. That's something to say. And they've had some really, really good teams. And that's why I keep telling people, you have to be able to hold coach K to the same standard. When you're taking a page out of coach Cal's book you have, and, and he fails and he's not successful at that getting past a certain point, you have to be able to give him the same amount of criticism that you do Cal, And that's just the way that it is. It's the way that the one and done works. And you look at the course over the last few years for hand, handful of years or four years or so, and we haven't seen those one-and-done teams win it. We've seen it with Duke and 15 with Winslow and the other Jones and and, and Okafor as well. But in the same token, you know, you look at what's happened since then. 16, an experienced Villanova. 17, an experienced Carolina. 18, an experienced Villanova. 19, an experienced Virginia team. So those are just a, a, a few things uh, to just kind of keep in mind when you're, you know, filling out these brackets and 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 looking forward to uh, maybe uh, winning that 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 office pool when you go in there. And I'm gonna be helping people out with their brackets all the time. And if you want me, to got a couple little questions about. You know, what I've seen all season long out of some of these teams maybe can help you. I call it the free space on the Tate's Take bingo card with your bracket. Feel free to follow along on social media, uh, at Tate's Take Hoops, T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S, and share along with a friend of where you can find these podcasts at, man. Appreciate everybody for listening and subscribing. Let them know. It's just a click of a button. I got to see if I can find a way to get, Kevin Herter from the Atlanta Hawks on here. He was talking a lot of noise about Maryland and beating Michigan State. Michigan State tapped him up pretty good. So we've got to find a way to get him on and talk a little noise and talk about Maryland and um, get him to subscribe as well. Hopefully we can do that. Um, So just reference him a little bit. Make sure we pay our dues, if we will. Uh, So hit the subscribe. Hit the subscribe uh, button and be sure to share it out. Tell a friend. You can find the Tate's Take Basketball Podcast here uh, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Red Circle, the whole nine, anywhere that you find podcasts at. Now, that last team that I uh, was looking at for, you know, a three seed is a team that I think can certainly go to the final four. And I don't think anybody's given them the kind of credit that they deserve. Miles Powell led. I mean, dude is uh, he's obviously a stud. And we've seen some instances leading up to this point where they appear to be kind of trending in the wrong direction, uh, if you will. But. They're a team that I don't think you want to count out. This is the perfect year for a team like a uh, Seton Hall to make a run similar to how we saw South Carolina do a few years ago back in 2017, a team that could just come out of nowhere. And I think that they've got it with the star power. Kevin Willard, I think, it can potentially be vulnerable of being outcoached. But I don't think that that is a real thing this year. I think that he can get to the final four win a national championship. I think we're having a different conversation. But to certainly get to uh, the national championship game or even just to the final four, I like their chances. Probably just about as good as anybody else's because they have the experienced players. They have the talent. They have the wings. They have the backcourt. They have the guard play. They have the bigs uh, up front. They've got it all. They've got the bench. They're deep. I mean, they they've got players all across the board that can really make a deep run. And I like them just as much as anybody else between Seton Hall and, uh, and 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 Dayton. Those are two teams that I like just as good as anybody to get all the way to the final four. And they're in the conversation for a three seed right now, uh, according to many. People And as far as the four seeds go, I'm here in Wisconsin, Oregon, Maryland, Louisville. Louisville has been quite of a, a, a bit of a disappointment this year, which uh, has been a tad bit surprising for me because I expected for them, based off of the year that they had last year, to come out and make a push and certainly be better than a four seed, uh, at very worst a two seed, but right in the conversation for a one seed this year. And Maryland was a team that I was highly critical of, said I didn't really believe in... Uh, and Anthony Cohen a whole lot. I'm more of a mellow, tremble guy myself. But um, they've taken advantage of a really tough league this year. And Jalen Stick Smith, I think, is an absolute stud. I really, really like that kid. He's a defender. He's an offensive player. He can shoot from outside a little bit and stretch defenses. He's really good. Now, I can't go as far as to tell you that I, I – the reason why I'm not – uh a heavy, in heavy favor of Maryland in the postseason is because I just, I honestly, I don't think that I can trust Mark Turgeon. I just don't. I just don't. I really, I. They're not the same Maryland. Like Gary Williams is not walking back through that door, and that has helped that institution out significantly and it just doesn't even seem like the same Maryland in the Big Ten or not like it just doesn't appear to be the same Maryland program basketball program you think Maryland the tradition and Nick Caner medley don't ask me why that's the first name I came up with but um (laughs) um, you know you 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 know Steve Blake and you know Juan Dixon and uh, I mean, you've got some really, really good players that have come out of there, and it just doesn't look remotely close to what it once was. I mean, Grievous Vasquez—they've had some really, really—I they, mean, they've had some good, they've had some damn good teams, and for this to be arguably one of the best since that time, I think is is very telling, uh, as they've won their share of the Big Ten regular season for the very first time since making their way over in the conference. But I just don't have a ton uh, of faith in them. It's not like Stevie franchise is coming up through there. Oregon is the team out of that list uh, between Maryland, Louisville, Wisconsin, uh, that I think that are right there on the four line that could potentially you know, make another run to the final four. And the reason why is because they have a winner at point guard in Peyton Pritchard, just all across the board winner. He won four state championships in high school. He got to the final four a few years ago in 2017. Um And he's just, he's just a straight-up winner. Like, he knows how to do this. He reminds me a lot of Aaron Kraft, formerly at Ohio State. I know that Kraft was probably a better defender, but, you know, this is an Oregon team led by Dana Altman again. It's wide open, and it wouldn't surprise me the least bit to see them take advantage. However, national championship, probably not. But they'll be looking to make history to be the first team to ever win a national championship in 1939 to the last team to ever win a national championship in 2020. So that'll be interesting enough as it is. But just something about that West Coast basketball and and some of those teams out there is just really Pac-12 is just a really hard sell for me right now. San Diego State and Gonzaga is clearly the teams that are running the West Coast in basketball as of right now. I just don't see very much outside of that. I really don't. I talked a little bit about some disappointing teams and surprise teams. Surprise teams this year Florida State Baylor uh two teams that I couldn't necessarily see them doing what they did this year San Diego State talked about them Creighton Penn State is right there in that conversation as well although they haven't been doing as good lately it's crazy to think that they were just the number nine team in the country this is just the kind of year we've been having in college basketball Penn State was just number nine a couple of weeks ago and now um you know they're they are and um they're, they're an unranked team right now, Penn State. And they started out, you know, a couple weeks ago as at, at number nine. And Michigan State is now at number nine. And at that time, when Penn State was number nine, Michigan State was unranked. It's crazy just to – it's very interesting to see what kind of things hold weight in regards to the decision-makers – Uh of the poll rankings from the AP most disappointing teams this year, probably to spearhead that list is going to be North Carolina, which I don't think there's very many people that will argue with me there. Florida's in that conversation, Arizona, with all the talk about, you know, Nico Mannion, who's now like the third has the third most assist by a freshman in program history. And then Washington is in that conversation as well, where I had much higher expectations for a team that has five-star players on it, Uh, you know, between McDaniels and and Isaiah Stewart, who are likely going to be lottery picks, if not lottery picks, certainly first-round picks. And Mike Hopkins coming off the kind of couple years that he had within the last few, the 2018 and 2019 Pac-12 Coach of the Year. And now everybody's running around talking about the Pac-12 going to get, like, seven different teams in. UCLA and Oregon and Colorado, Arizona State, USC, Arizona, Stanford. Like, I just, I don't, I'm, I can't guarantee you that I see it that way. I'm hoping that that certainly uh, kind of helped you guys out a little bit in regards to giving you a little bit of a feel of Tate's take, 110% unbiased, of course. Uh, Not much opinionated, Um, a lot of factual, educational information uh, for you guys. But um, I'm going to get into now this Chris Bosh interview. I had the opportunity um, to do some things through my current employer, 929 The Game, as a reporter, to sit down and have a conversation with Chris Bosh and pick his brain on a few different things, on what life has been like ever since, you know, he's retired from the NBA, Uh, and I think that you guys will certainly enjoy it. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Deshaun Tate, basketball reporter here for Sports Radio 92.9 The Game at the AAP, the African-American Partnership Leadership Luncheon. With none other, I'm sure you guys recognize the face already, Chris Bosch. Chris, first and foremost, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Man, I'm outstanding. I couldn't be much better than I am right now. I'm uh, huge basketball guy. I um, have obviously followed you in your career a lot, but first things first, let's talk about the reason behind why we're here. A function based on uh, leadership and particularly people of color and why it's important for blacks specifically to take advantage of uh, educational opportunities, leadership programs, and uh, self-growth uh, in regards to tomorrow's youth. Kind of talk about... Um, how that is important to you and kind of how you are willing to be a face to help out so many of uh, today's youth and tomorrow's future leaders.
1: Well, I mean, it's exciting for me because it's kind of coming around full circle. You know, um, I was the recipient of people, you know, helping me out when I was younger, whether it was a ride to school, whether it was a ride to practice, whether it was, you know, letting my parents pay two weeks from now, You know, because they were a little tight on cash um, uh, for a basketball camp. And now, you know, now I'm I'm giving back. You know, I'm I'm able to hopefully encourage others to give back because it's very, very, very important. Um, You know, it's kind of hard to see when you're working day to day and doing everything and and your head's down and you're focused on on certain things. But, uh, you know, the, the way we talk, the way that we lead the way that we help out other people or don't sometimes people are watching especially younger the younger generation and we're setting the example for them moving forward so if we can find a place to where we're giving back to where we're inspiring you know the next generation to do better you know to continue to march forward and and, you know give them resources and, and, and allow them to you know, explore worlds that they never even knew were 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 available. I think that can really really um transpire into some great things, and you know you never know you might be given a ride home to the next president or the next top lawyer or a Supreme court justice or a doctor. You know what I mean I mean it's just so many different fields that are out there that you know, I feel that um, young African-American children need to know that are out there and they can actually accomplish
0: them. That makes for a really good point. Obviously, there's a lot of layers to that onion. And one of the more important things that you kind of mentioned was paying it forward and being put in position to not just uh, feeling obligated to help others, but even more so, uh, stressing the importance of others helping others when they get put in that position themselves you are from south dallas lincoln high school you make the jump from there to georgia to downtown atlanta at 18 years old at a very young age now to my understanding that's kind of the equivalent of what seems like like going from from the SWATs, from like Zone 6 almost. Uh, to, that might have been the biggest laugh that I got from you today. But uh, uh, to like Stanford or Ivy League type situation, can you kind of talk about the challenges that you may have faced growing up, uh, some of the pressure that you may have faced as well, including uh, some of the adjustments that you had to make in that transition? Because a lot of that is advice that, that today's youth can use as well who are in some similar situations. Well, I, the first challenge off the off the my mind that I thought of was
1: just the cultural differences. Once I came here, hugely, hugely different. And, and, you know, I wasn't used to it because I'll be frank with you. I had never really been around white people or Indian people or Asian people. I had, when we go and go play basketball or go to the mall and you see them. I didn't have any friends, maybe one that I played on my summer league team with, but coming here, Georgia tech is, Everybody else and not us, you know, and and that was the first cultural shock that I felt. And normally you want to just be a recluse and kind of guard yourself and not be as social or be as outgoing. But I I think that's one of the things that I'd encourage um, young people to do is talk to a diverse Array of people don't just stick to one thing, and that goes in so many different. Like, don't just talk just to basketball players. Talk to the talk to the guys in the in the Nesby Club. Talk mm-hmm. to the girls at the on the on, on the you know the volleyball team. Go over here to the Key Club and have conversations because you know those are important social tools that I think you know people need. And it was a very huge very huge uh discrepancy you know when when i came here um and and you know for me i was glad that i have basketball but sometimes i'm thinking about those guys and girls that don't have basketball that don't have that thing they're just in college trying to better their future i would encourage them definitely to kind of start now to be more social and be more outgoing and and kind of you know, just try to find a common ground because that's a talent in itself, to find a common ground with someone and try to connect with that person.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, not that that wasn't important because obviously it was, but this is particularly my favorite part because I'm a big hoops head. Uh, so I want to get into some of the basketball stuff at this point. You obviously have spent a lot of time with Kobe Bryant and played in, in some of Uh, the different events and Olympics and such with him as well in the relationship that you have with him. Can you kind of explain that or express that a little bit of, because we heard so much from so many different people and as much basketball as I watch, I haven't had the opportunity to hear it from Chris Bosh. So, you know, we understand the unfortunate set of circumstances that that occurred in the tragedy, but did you see this other side of Kobe Bryant as a father that not a lot of people saw? What, What type of Person, we saw, we see saw the basketball player. Yeah. What type of person do you know Kobe
1: to be? Oh, man. I mean, yeah, everybody knows the Black Mamba, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that was amazing. It is amazing. It's still alive. Pe- what people don't know is that he would pick his girls and take pick them up and drop them off school every day mm-hmm. and take them to swimming classes. Mm-hmm. And he was the basketball coach. And he was running Kobe, Inc., And he wrote books like I thought it was one book. It was five books in one, you know, and he won an Oscar. And the last conversation we had, he said, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to win a Tony and we've got this coming. And that. I mean, just his relentlessness to just be a great figure and a great businessman and a great father. You know, that Mamba mentality wasn't just on the court. It was being the best and excelling at everything, you know, and. That example is still there. It's still alive and well. We have to keep it alive. And, I mean, he, he, he's done so much. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm like, man, I got I to gotta get on my horse and, and get this thing going because he accomplished so many things by 40 that most people don't do in eight lifetimes. You know, so just seeing those talents, his, his, his curiosity with film, his knowledge on film, character building, um, writing, writing, fatherhood, you know, the philosophical approach to basketball and the triangle, you know, that was just, he left the codes. you know, we have to go back and kind of just, you know, just go through the archives and just see what's there because it's, uh, it's many, many gems. And I inquire people, I, you know, I want people to inquire about it and, and really, really listen to the words that he said during and after, uh, he, he was playing.
0: Now let me ask you this, because I, I know that since you retired in, in 2017, you've had some opportunity to take some time out. I'm not really sure how much basketball that you still watch in terms of you know, guys that are, are playing in the NBA. There's a, a new up-and-coming group or crop of guys, specifically a guy who is the face of this particular franchise here in this town and Trey Young for the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, just some of your overall thoughts on him, if you have an opportunity to see him, and maybe some things that you know, people don't see about his game That sticks out to you and what kind of pro you think he's going to be here for the Hawks?
1: I think he's going to be a great pro. Um, He can put the ball in the hole. Scoring, all-star, the cool stuff, he's got that down. Now it's about winning. It's about, you know, being a leader in the community being an example for young guys and young girls to say oh I can do that too setting that example and that's the hard part you know coming you know the thing about the league is you've got to be consistent you've got to work harder and harder each year i love the talent that um the Atlanta Hawks have i was there you know getting beat up it's part of the league you know they're going to have to take their lumps and they're going to have to you know get better but like the exciting thing about Trey is that you know he has the swagger he he has an amazing ability and just a knack for those deep range shots and ball handling and he's fun to watch and he seems you know he looks fun to play with with his amazing playmaking ability and his passes so you know i uh, he's just going to have to learn how to persevere mm-hmm. because it's not easy in the NBA especially like you know it's fun you're an all-star that's great and then that increases your responsibility. People now people are expecting it. They're expecting you to be an all-star. They're expecting you to to lead these guys. They're expecting you to win more and get to the playoffs and it's always another step. So, you know, I would I would definitely implore him to stay in the gym and,
0: you know, get better. My very last question for you as we get ready to wrap up here. You know, you were a part of a team with Dwayne Wade and and LeBron James, one of the first who kind of formed this big three type deal. Um, You know, how has that kind of changed the NBA and just basketball in general? I know that, you know, LeBron's been really busy with a lot of different things. Uh, Dwayne Wade has, you know, some some new documentary stuff coming up uh, as well. So just your overall thoughts on that. And with you being one of those big three, how did that kind of form? What kind of challenges did that come with or that you had to Just embrace what was going to come with that and the whole decision and everything. Well, I think we didn't know what was coming with
1: it. (laughs) I mean, you know, I'm sure you'll hear that a lot as we get further removed. We didn't know what was going to happen. But um, I want to say we were the first guys aware of the power that the players have. Let's just call a spade a spade, right? And I'll be honest with you, as we saw, everybody doesn't like that. You know, everybody does not like that self-awareness, the brand awareness, whatever you want to call it, um, around the game, around your team, around you as a person. Um, We were very, very aware of the cultural impact um, that we had. And, you know, uh, us taking the power in our own hands and saying, okay, hey, let's play together. that, that, That wasn't, people didn't like that you know what i mean um and it is ushered in a new era and now free agency is bigger than the super bowl <laughs> to me you know what i mean it's uh it's an event every single summer everybody's like okay hey nba finals yay free agency you know and and i i kind of think um we uh we created excitement um around that and 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 just showing that you can i don't even want to call it thinking outside the box because mm-hmm. On a day-to-day basis, teams—this is what they do. You know, general managers and presidents—it's their job to know the collective bargaining agreement. It's their job to know every single player and how much he's making in the league. Players should do that too. You know what I mean? And and I think that's really, really important. And f- for us to even, you know, have that foresight to just kind of say, "Hey, yeah, okay, I wanna—we want to win a championship. We want to accomplish our dreams. How do we get that done?" Okay. I, th- I think this is a plan. And then going from there, okay, we're together now as a team collectively. How do we work together to accomplish that goal? But at the same time, how do we work to c- collectively to put out a positive message? Because everybody's watching, you know, and I think um, since then, the NBA hasn't been the same.
0: I could do this all day, but unfortunately I don't have that much time. One of the very few people who's not a Chicago bull, whose number is retired in the Raptors with Michael Jordan in a whole different arena outside of the United center, Chris Bosch. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. And that was the interview of Chris Bosch and very thankful, overly grateful and appreciative for, um, for Chris and his, him making that availability to me and his PR staff and, Uh, Just everybody that had a hand in on that for making that happen. Um, So hopefully you guys took a little something away from that as he uh, discussed many, many things that I think is really good for us to keep a reminder on. And I was going to kind of touch on some of this coronavirus thing and the way that it's kind of impacting and affecting sports. But I think I'm just going to pipe down a little bit on that as there's some new information that is actually coming about on that and i would like to share it all at the exact same time uh so up against a little bit right now but thankful overly grateful of you guys as well to take out this time to listen to the podcast share with a friend share with a freaking friend family member co-worker associate uh perfect just stranger like doesn't matter um share that stuff out man really be thankful for get some people to uh Come on and and um, and uh, chime in. Uh, that's something that you can always do on social media at Tates Take Hoops. That is on Twitter as well as on Instagram, T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S. Um, Going to get ready to put out another one of these sometime later on this week, man, as we draw a little bit closer to the weekend that is Selection Sunday and get into a little bit more NBA stuff because we have so much stuff That I would like to share, but unfortunately cannot get to all of it today. So again, be sure to uh, share this podcast out with some friends and letting them know uh, that you can uh, how you can go about supporting. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, opinions, any of those things regarding the podcast and or some of the content that I'm kind of kicking to you guys in your ear. uh, Feel free to, again, hit me up on the social media uh, on the Twitter, i like to try and respond back to any and everybody as much as I possibly can. At Tates Take Hoops, T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S, where basketball lives. Catch y'all on the next one. Gone.